My first agency, which I started in my 20s, was called Communique. We produce sales conferences, annual meetings, and training programs. We help leaders animate their vision and communicate their strategies. My mantra back then, and still to this day, head, heart, and hands. Head, make your message easy to understand. Heart, make it exciting and engaging. And hands, make it actionable. And working at Communique was like an executive MBA on steroids. I got to work with leaders across every sector, and I learned strategy through osmosis. But I also was a reader of business books. And one of my favorite back then was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I wasn't the only one that loved this book. Since 1989, it's sold over 25 million copies worldwide, translated into 40 languages. And a concept in the book that has stayed with me always is where Covey discusses influence and authority and how they relate to effective leadership. Covey sees influence and authority as two types of power, positional power and personal power. Positional power comes with a title, the authority. I'm the boss, you must follow me. But personal power is more subtle and based on one's character, knowledge, and abilities. Covey argues that the personal power is more effective in inspiring, motivating, and engaging others. It makes sense. We listen more and are more influenced by those we trust, who we feel have character, integrity, and capability. Covey went on to coin the term emotional bank accounts. Each time someone you believe in does the right thing, they deliver on a promise, help you get to where you want to go. They're putting currency in the bank. They're increasing their influence and their power. But what Covey didn't realize is that 15 years after his book was published, the entire world would change with social media. MySpace in 2003, Facebook a year later, and in the two following decades, other platforms like YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and many more allowed billions of people to connect, create, and share content and have followers, and guess what? Influence others. And that influence and personal power is shaping our head, heart, and hands. Yes, how we think, feel, and do, including our biases and how we vote, make decisions, shop, and buy. And when individuals can have that level of influence, this amount of personal power, and with it the unique riches of some have monetized their direct relationships with followers to become billionaires, we must recognize it can come with both good and bad. You're listening to the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. And this is Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. And my guest today is Joe Galliese. And speaking of influence, his thinking on influencer marketing is renowned worldwide. He's Canadian, he's a serial entrepreneur, and the co-founder of Viral Nation, an agency capturing the attention of leading organizations, influences, and media worldwide. So stick around for some great stories and Joe's thoughts on when influencer marketing becomes well too influential. Joe Galliese, welcome to Chatter That Matters. Thank you for having me, Tony. Much appreciated. To make sure we're working from the same song sheet, and given that you were one of the lead composers when it comes to influencer marketing, I'd love your definition of what influencer marketing is and why it matters to the many people listening to the show. I, I like to describe it uniquely, Tony, in the sense of, uh, you know, word of mouth marketing has been one of the strongest forms, is the strongest form of marketing in history. And, uh, you know, what influencers are is a, uh, a friend with a lot of friends. And that's the cool part. Influencer marketing is generally using like-minded and authentic people who match your, your customer base to talk about your product and kind of be arm's length from a brand. So, you know, people who are, you know, everyday folks 
who have developed large audiences that now are thought leaders or tastemakers in specific categories, utilizing them to deliver your message through. Celebrities have always been endorsing brands. It's certainly the, you know, even back, I was, did a tour of the Rome Coliseum and the favorite gladiators sold their toys, their toy gladiator dolls. And then as obviously when we moved into, you know, the golden age of movies and TV, you would see someone like Bing Crosby effortlessly shuffle between Minute Maid orange juice and, and Chesterfield cigarettes, you know, or obviously Arnold Palmer and Michael Jordan. Why are celebrities and and people that have a following such an exciting place for uh, brands to play? The big difference between a celebrity and an influencer is the fact that the influencer is a regular Joe and the celebrity is generally rooted in a long career of building that track, right? So it's almost like creators are more relatable to us because they're just like us. Whereas a celebrity is the best at their sport or an incredible actor, actress. So influencers are really the pinnacle of that type of, uh, you know, that type of uh, being able to endorse things. But when we move into like an era where there's less trust from consumers for brands or companies when they're talking about things, because we've been bombarded for so many years with advertisement, um, people turn to celebrities, athletes, influencers, because they trust their opinion as a third party to that thing. So, you know, it's that that idea that, you know, um, I love Coke, but I love Coke more because Sidney Crosby drinks Coke. Right. And, and it's just, again, re- relatability with people is what makes them powerful is because it's almost like they're making a friendly recommendation as opposed to an advertisement. And that's why I think celebrity endorsement's been around since the beginning of time. And this next iteration of celebrity endorsement now coming to influencers and, and regular everyday people is just uh, the progression of that through time. So before we get into this sort of everyday people, the other thing I wanted to ask you is that, you know, in the past where these celebrities or people that had influence over you used to sing for their supper, they now want to own the entire restaurant chain. Uh, I had uh, Zach O'Malley Greenberg on my show, and he talked about a book that he wrote in terms of uh, A-List Angels, how a band of uh, actors, artists, and athletes hacked Silicon Valley. You know, uh, Dre, uh, Rihanna, George Clooney, Reese Witherspoon. I mean, they're becoming, some of them becoming billionaires because they're saying, not only do I have influence, I also have the ability to create my own products and services. How does your world collide or work and collaborate with that world? Because I have to believe for many of them, including the the Ronald Reynolds and another Canadian like you, it's a lot easier for me to control every aspect of it versus attach myself to a brand that I'm not necessarily completely confident in. I think my world is what shaped that, right? I think before you didn't see any of those things because the celebrity was reliant on the companies to pay for the distribution. So it wasn't, I'm going to hire Dwayne Johnson and he's all of a sudden now for free going to talk to 30 million of his fans. It was, I'm going to go pay Dwayne Johnson, then I'm going to shoot a commercial, then I'm going to pay some big media company to put it out into the world. I think all that's changed really, Tony, is now that the athletes and celebrities can maintain and hold their audiences on social. Now it's not a matter of their name, image, and likeness. They're the media company themselves. They hold the keys to the communication with their audience. So I think a lot of them were going, well, all these years where I've basically given my 
you know, name and likeness and support to grow these monstrous Fortune 500 brands. Now that I own my audience and I can access them freely, I want to be the entrepreneur. I want to be the enterprise. I want to develop what's right for my audience. And you're seeing that. And I think that, you know, in the Viral Nation world of things, uh, you know, we have Viral Nation Ventures. Uh, we've pushed heavily into it this year. It's this idea that Viral Nation believes that the future enterprises are humans. Um, and, and folks like these influencers who end up being a category leader and then end up building the best in class products and services in those categories. And literally you're seeing it emerge like quarterly now more and more and more. And it's because, you know, if we understand the power of influencer or the power of celebrity endorsement, then we should understand how powerful they can be as entrepreneurs if they have the right things. And I also think, Tony, like being an entrepreneur is a lot easier today than it was before. Um, when you were starting a business 10, 15 years ago, there were elements of capital constraints. There was monopolies of, you know, distribution of products. There was, it was very difficult to get into e-commerce, et cetera. But with the progression of technology now, you know, you can drum up an e-commerce company and sell it for $4 billion in, you know, under three years. That That's unprecedented. So, Social media gave them their audience and technology gave them the platform. And now they're just taking advantage of it. I opened the show and I talked about starting my first agency just about around when you started Viral Nation. But I mean, I didn't taste any of the success that you did. And what I really like about how you position Viral Nation is you call yourself a modern marketing and technology company. So I guess that just plays on what you're saying, that the world has changed. We still need humans. We still need content. We still need to create an itch. But with technology now, it's a game changer because it's no longer that expression in advertising. Half my advertising is wasted. I just don't know what half. You kind of understand the, the metrics that matter. I come from a place where, you know, when I started Viral Nation, I was in boardrooms getting laughed out of boardrooms around the notion of social and influencer marketing to, you know, getting to scale. And, you know, what I learned, uh, especially over the last three years is that the big media and traditional marketing machines that have been established over the last 30 years that control the billions and billions and billions that go into the space are really well established and grounded in the way that they make the customer feel their dollars are working, whether that be right or wrong. You know, what clicked for me was the easiest thing to sell, Tony, is something that you can measure and that makes someone else money or or offers the objective. So when I thought about the future of marketing and the future of our nation, it was, you know, we need to be creative. We need to be scrappy. We need to do all those things, but we need to lead what we're doing with technology and finish it by proving it with technology. As long as we have both of those sides covered, we have endless scale. And that's where a lot of our growth has come from with just the inherent ability for us to be able to say, you know, Coke, you're spending a billion dollars in media. If you spent half of that in social, you would run the world. And unfortunately, it's not that simple and you got to prove it. So everything that we think about here at Viral Nation starts and finishes with technology because we believe that's how we grow and, and how we can chip away at the old machine. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. We started to evolve. And that was huge for Viral Nation and huge for me because as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I think that I'm best at and that I've been able to succeed with this notion of being able to continuously evolve to meet the demand of what's coming at you. My guest today is Joe Galliese, who with his partner has built Viral Nation, one of the most exciting agencies on the planet. 
So, you know, you're this David versus Goliath because you're dealing with massive multinational agency machines. As you say, they control billions of dollars in media. The last thing they want to hear in the boardroom is, well, we just talked to this Canadian entrepreneur. Mind you, you've got a hundred million dollar business. It's worth over 600 million, but let's just, let's just portray this as you're a single voice and challenging the, the status quo. How do you defend that? Because I have to believe that you've made quite a few enemies along the way, because again, the proof is in the pudding. You've got the math to support your strategy. It's two parts. So one part, Viral Nation's business is like 95% brand direct. So in order to change the mind of the brand, you got to do it with them. You can't change the mind of a brand through an agency. So one of the adjustments I made about five, six years ago was instead of focusing on being a good agency partner to help the big agencies, let's try to build our own relationships with the brands, which was like a TSN turning point for us. Um, And then second is it's a dichotomy of like you have a lot of people in these marketing organizations who are used to how things are being done and they don't want to disrupt them. And then you have younger folks coming in who are saying like, it's crazy we're not working with Viral Nation. So it's a bit of a balancing act of making sure you're putting proof in the pudding, making sure you're willing to do that you know, million-dollar campaign before you get the $20 million one, uh, making sure that you're there to basically, honestly, Tony, go above and beyond what any agency would do in order to build that relationship. So it's a lot of like old-school mentality of relationship building and you know, proving you know, proofs in the pudding. Um, but as companies start to see other companies we work with emerge or do crazy cool things or really step out in front is when we're starting to see a, like a gut reaction of brands coming inward. So Viral Nation's growth is all from organic. So we, uh, we have a really big inbound funnel of brands around the world who reach out to us. And that just has been kind of steadily increasing over the years. So it's also just kind of timing in the market, Tony, and people you know, going through these cycles internally and out with the old and with the new and, you know, recessions and and pandemics are really good for us, Tony, because it really pushes them to think faster. It pushes them to to adjust or it pushes them to say, what is this spend really getting me? And as a result of that, companies like Viral Nation in these types of times are growing. So, you know, just so the audience uh, has an appreciation, your shelf life, you're like seven or eight years old. And you're talking like you've been around for four decades. That's how fast you moved. You know, you've hit a hundred million dollars in sales. That's an impressive number. I'm curious though, as, as a entrepreneur, how did you keep your culture together when you're growing both organically and strategically through acquisitions? You as a co-founder, Matt is your partner. I mean, how do you, how do you instill that same hunger, attitude of an entrepreneur going direct, proving, uh, when you get to the point, well, hey, things are going really well now. We can kind of just set back and let this thing just grow organically. COVID's been challenging, Tony, from a cultural perspective, because a lot of what drove the magic of our nation was folks seeing me and Matt work as hard, if not harder than them. And, you know, coming into the office and seeing us kind of in the weeds, in the trenches and et cetera. And I think COVID really kind of moved me and Matt up onto a pedestal where, you know, you lost that, you know, we are just one with the troops type thing. We're one of you. We work with you. We're, we're in it with you. And, and that was a big secret to our culture being as strong as it was. I think 
kind of going into this year, we did a big adjustment. So it was this idea, Tony, of, of one is we got to figure out a way to get everyone, you know, of our staff to understand what's going on at every level all the time remotely. And that's something we're working on actively. And we just signed a, a, a new potential office space uh, in, in a much more central area to where our employees are to kind of get that camaraderie back. But, you know, really, Tony, my whole secret to the culture of our nation is, if you can work as hard as your your partner and you can work as hard as the executives are working and we're all kind of pushing towards a North Star together, um, that's that's been the driving force of what kind of keeps people going every day and keeps them excited. And then obviously, Tony, like we've we've done some pretty amazing things, right? So we've worked with some of the best brands in the world. We've been able to deliver things that I think make people feel very valuable to be a part of. Yeah, we still need to work on it coming out of COVID, but it's, it's really just work ethic leading work ethic has been our thing. I'm curious, is you've got this incredible orchestra that you're controlling, you've got the math, the technology, you've got the team. What happens though, when one of the influencers that you depend on goes AWOL? I'm using Kanye West as an example where, you know, this guy was representing billion dollars in sales to Adidas. He was a game changer. And he starts to talk with what he believes is truth and authenticity and transparency to his followers. That's why he built them. But, it, you know, to many, it was an anti-Semitic rant. And how do you, when you don't have control of the influencer, help to mitigate the risk for brands that are using them to get the attention they want? You know, in the influencer world, you're right there. You know, there's an inherent fear with social media, Tony, across the board, be it the influencers, be it your executives, be it your on-air hosts, be it, um, you know, a broadcaster of any kind, um, even folks like yourself, right, is, you know, just like cybersecurity was coming through the 2000s and becoming a challenge, now you have the whole risk of kind of cancel culture and this thing where, you know, uh, uh, the wrong tweet or the wrong Instagram post from an executive at a large company company can move their market cap down by billions of dollars, right? So, you know, inherently there was an issue. And Tony, you know, for the longest time, we didn't know how to solve it. We we put in, you know, regulations on our marketing side of our business, regulations on the talent side of our business of showing up positively and making sure we're, we're condoning the proper behaviors. And if, you know, an influencer that we represented or we worked with kind of went rogue or went into a, an area where we as an organization didn't feel aligned that we wouldn't work with those folks, but it wasn't enough. So, uh, about two and a half years ago, Tony, we got this crazy idea that we could build uh, a, a technology that essentially allowed us to do a social media background check on individuals, but also um, monitor individuals on social moving forward. And we built it for the purposes of influencer marketing, actually for Disney at the time, Tony, because Disney was like, we want to scale this influencer thing, but we're scared. What if we align with the wrong person? So we built this technology called Viral Nation Secure, and we patented it across the board. And basically, we built a tech that goes through the text, image, video, voice, all the way to the beginning of the social account history, and will pull um, all of those kind of potential risk areas so that we can get ahead of them or a brand can be comfortable going into the relationship. And then we monitor it going forward. So we built a tech, Tony, to address this problem, and it works spectacularly. Um, what we didn't anticipate was the need state for it beyond influencers. So now, Tony, like Viral Nation Secure um, is powering sports teams to, to protect the athletes. It's powering, you know, some of the biggest brands in the world's HR departments when they're hiring. Um, 
you know, we've really built the, you know, Equifax slash Norton antivirus of social media and, and it's actively in market today and, and it's growing like a, a weed. And, and it's such a cool opportunity, Tony, because social is the most powerful asset you have, but it could be the most harmful. So this product allowed us to get rid of the harm side, which allowed all of our brand partners and our influencers to scale. I did a lot of homework on you and you, you strike me as a masterful chess player, you and Matt, maybe even a three-dimensional in terms of it's always that step ahead, just like you talked about with your security. And one of the ones I was really impressed with is that when I started thinking about influencer marketing, you think of someone like Taylor Swift, that she, you know, sneezes, the music industry catches a cold. But you started looking at micro-influencers. It said it doesn't have to be this army of Davids to have influence over your brand and a consumer. Talk to me a little bit about micro-influencers and why you feel that's sort of the next dimension on the chessboard. I look at micro influencers, Tony, as like a bunch of your potential customers that have just odd levels of reach, right? So if you think about, you know, your, your good friend who maybe uses Facebook a lot or, you know, the person who's always posting the cool stuff and, you know, really a micro influencer is just a regular consumer who's decided that they wanted to invest time in developing an audience around that specific topic. So when we think about influencers, I think sometimes people, Tony, get confused that influencers are just there to post about something to sell something. But in reality, there are so many other benefits to, to influencer, especially the micro tier, which is they create tons of really amazing content. Christ, that's why they're there, right? So you got, you got micro influencers can create the content that brands are paying for from these really expensive agencies and get the reach from it. So there's, there's great content capabilities of having a ton of these folks working on behalf of a brand because you're getting that organic, what we call UGC content, user generated content at scale. And that's amazing. Then what happens with the micro influencers is they really start to kind of fall into niches a lot more tighter than some of the bigger creators are. So you might have a big creator who's, you know, all uh, outdoors, wildlife, et cetera. But then if you go to the micro and mid tier, you got ones who are for fishing. You have ones that are for hunting. You have ones who are for snowshoeing and influencers and the micro tier allow you to really target segments of your consumer wants um, in a lot more targeted fashion. So there's that benefit. And then lastly is, you know, their ability to kind of create that arm's length distinction around your product. They're that kind of like third party review. They're that third party voice. And if you combine all those good things together and if you use them effectively for a company like, you know, a Sono speakers or, you know, a company where you can really touch a lot of different groups, that allows us, micro influencers allow us to kind of cascade through the very niche specific portions of a customer segmentation. And that in turn brings a lot of success. So, but you need to factor the entire benefit of the creator as opposed to just, you know, I'm posting to sell something. It's generating a ton of other stuff we need to keep the marketing engine of these brands going. We come back, Joe Galliese and I talk about something that's very important to them, how we must be very aware of what social media is doing to our children. Hi, it's Tony Chapman, host of Chatter That Matters, presented by RBC. Small business owners are the heart of our economy, and it's our collective interest to keep them beating strong. Small Business Matters to RBC and a big shout out for their Small Business Navigator portal that points the way to practical resources, money-saving offers, and financial advice. Find out more at rbc.com slash smallbusinessnavigator. 
So what's interesting is if you take the business side away and you take the marketing and viral nation stuff away and we just talk kind of shop on on the world and, and culture and how things are changing. What I think is so, so incredible is becoming an influencer is not only what the world wants to do. It's what the world is requiring you to be. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. Joe Galliese is my guest today. He's a serial entrepreneur, entrepreneur in residence at the University of Toronto, and he's disrupting marketing around the world. I'm following you because I, I grew up in the marketing world and I was fascinated by what you're doing. Somebody listening, give them an example of a campaign that you did and why it's different than what might have been the traditional mass marketing approach of, boy, I bought a Super Bowl ad, signed a celebrity and doing this clever ad. Our whole mantra is we're moving traditional media-led brands to social media-led brands. So what that means in a use case example, uh, let's just use Coke as an example. First, we start with the owned social. So it's Coke's actual social media themselves. Develop a strategy around their social, develop a content cadence, develop exactly what content needs to go out and why to hit each like kind of goal that we have. You know, we believe at Viral Nation that a brand's social media is as important, if not more important, than their website in today's new consumer ecosystem. So we get that all that base kind of assessed and and set up properly. Then what we do is we work with the brand to get their first party data and insights. So we see who are their buyers, where are their buyers? We understand from the brand's data exactly who they're trying to target and why. Then what we do is we take that information and we put it into our technologies, Tony, and the the technologies takes that information and goes, here are the 2000 creators or influencers in North America who hit those kind of key assumptions from the data. And then what we do is we lean them down based on the type of content, what they're like, you know, their viewership, their engagement rates. And we kind of find the cream of the crop of that thousand, let's say, for instance. And then what we do is we develop specific plans for each of them to promote Coca-Cola for, you know, either a month or a year or three years, whatever it may be. And we align these creators based on exactly the data that we know they need and who they control in terms of the social market. And we activate the influencers accordingly. So, um, that could be for, you know, just a general promotion of Coke. It could be for creating content that Coke needs. It could be for paid free, for instance. Sometimes, Tony, what we do is we take the influencer, they post their content, and then we run the media campaign behind them. So we take their post and we use it as the ad for the brand as opposed to sending it from the brand so that we can get like a 10 times higher click-through rate than if we use the brand. So we use all of the social, we call it the social middle of brands, Tony, everything social to kind of run an entire ecosystem of client of their customers moving in and out of purchasing and, and selling. Um, and we utilize their owned the influencer, the paid to kind of create that that flywheel effect to drive what whatever that goal is that they have. You know, you talked about trust earlier on. You said, you know, trust is declining. In, I'd say in society in general, I mean, political leaders, our brands, we trust these people. But what happens if they throttle it up? They say, well, this is easy money for me as an influencer. Uh, you know, this doesn't take a lot of work. Uh, Viral Nation is doing most of the work. When does it become a danger zone where the audience that they built based on who they are and this great content starts to rebel because they think they're being sold to as opposed to being 
great content that they love because they were share it was shared with them. Yeah, and that's the Achilles heel you're touching on of influencer marketing, Tony, because you have, you know, you said you said earlier that, you know, half of my market's not working, half of it's working. You know, influencers no different. It's just that, you know, it's it's not being done from a data perspective like we talked about earlier. So, you know, you can go out and get 10 influencers who look identical, who talk about the identical thing, and out of those 10 only one's going to sell more than what you pay them. And that's why it becomes insanely important and why Viral Nation's been growing like we are is because we know how to distill that. And our space, although it's been around now, Tony, for like call it five, six years in kind of full motion, you know, I'd say about 90% of agencies and brand are still doing it without understanding what those insights mean. So that means that every time they're doing a campaign, they're not getting the result they should be getting by like a, a, a big, big detractor. So what we try to do, Tony, is, is understand through the insights of the creator who's opted into our system, if they're that type of a creator you're referring to, Tony, which is, you know, has gone too far, has lost that engagement with their audience, has lost that trust, et cetera, or what are the data points that show us that they still have that trust? And we're able to do it, thank- thankfully, through technology. We used to have to do it manually. It- it's major because the influencer marketing world is awesome, but it's 10% of the influencers that really drive the ship or, or can move the needle for these companies. And it's about navigating to find them. So that creates this issue, Tony, where it's like you have creators who will do nothing for a brand, literally nothing, and then some who will change the brand's trajectory altogether. And that's the art and the science of the data that goes into what we're doing. And that's the art and the science of influencer marketing, which is why you have so many opposing views in our space. I talk to CMOs who think that influencer marketing is the worst channel ever. And then I speak to some CMOs who say influencer marketing is the reason we still have our business and the reason it's growing. It can be done really easily. So it's done really easily, if that makes sense. Um, But if you actually dig into it and you do it the right way, I truly believe it's the best medium of marketing in the world today. So John Ruffalo has been on my show. I've interviewed him live at conferences. I consider him a dear friend and without question, one of the most astute investors in the world. You're his first investment. $250 million teamed up with another billionaire in the States, another incredible investor. What did he see in you? Because that number absolutely floored me. I mean, we're, we're talking about someone that's seeing that there's literally no limit to your growth. John's one of those guys who can kind of see where the puck is going, uh, better than most. Um, and he understands business leadership. Um, and, and he understands the dynamic of having a good leadership team. So I think, you know, what really drew John to Viral Nation was I think that everyone in the world sees where social media is going. And I think obviously Viral Nation is the most poised to take it all over. And that's one factor and a big factor to do with the money. But I also felt like John really trusted my ability to get it done. Because I think when you look down the barrel of new opportunities or you look down the barrel of these new industries, you know, no company has it right at that exact period of time. It's about betting on the companies who have the brain power and the tenacity to make the shifts necessary to take it over. Right. So it's very difficult in those stages of where we're on our business to say how they're operating right now is it. 
it could be completely different three years from now. And I think there was a lot of trust in how they saw us operating the business, our foresight and how we manage things kind of mixed with our roadmap of how we kind of displayed to our investors, how we were going to tackle this challenge over time, um, kind of all came together for them to have just an immense trust and to back us at that level. So, uh, but he, he's a, he's an extraordinary, extraordinary man who's uh, become a great mentor and a good friend, but also someone who, um, you know, has helped me see the prize in different categories when I'm not seeing them. So it, it's a great relationship. Uh, you also were very public and I was quite surprised given the fact that you have to be the, uh, the the trailblazer for influencer marketing around the world. You also had a recent article where you talked about the watchouts that sometimes putting so much power in the hands of so few uh, can lead to some concerns. And yours was specifically around children and their screen. Tell us a little bit about your concerns and maybe what we should be thinking about when we're looking at, you know, that easy babysitter for our children, which is just giving them an, an iPad or a, or a phone to play with. Yeah. And this is a big topic for me, Tony, for, for a couple of reasons. One is I have three kids, but also I have a mentor. His name is uh, Bruce Poontip. Tony, if, if you haven't spoken to him ever, he'd be a great guy to, to chat with. He He's the founder of a company called G Adventures, which is a big, big travel company from Toronto. It's actually who introduced me to John Ruffalo. Um, What's interesting about him was, you know, he's a philanthropic entrepreneur in the sense that he tries to give back equally what he's taking. And he challenged me about a year and a half ago. And he said, Joe, you're being, you're becoming very successful. You're on a crazy trajectory. And he said, you know, I challenge you to find something that you think you can make a difference in that's correlated to your business. And, and, and that really stuck with me, Tony, for like a year. It was, it was, it was, it was bothering me. And then, you know, I, I really took a look at the social landscape. I have a 12 year old daughter. I have a lot of friends with kids and I didn't like what I saw. And, uh, and and I was really concerned and uh, I became even more concerned as my daughter kind of went from 10 to 11 to 12. Um, and, and I just think that it's the biggest single threat to parents that exists. And I don't think that parents are taking it seriously. And I don't think that parents are educated enough to protect these young people on social media. Uh, we have enough problems in our world, Tony. Uh, we have enough uh, issues and, you know, the pandemic and kids being separated to, you know, now living on screens, you know, we have an obligation to these young folks to do what was done for us. And I, I think we're dropping the ball. So, you know, I have a, a, a deep kind of burning desire to educate parents so that they can take proactive action and making sure they're protecting their kids on social. Cause Tony, the things I've seen and, and the dangers that exist for these young people is just, it's too much for me to ignore. And I think, you know, obviously I build a whole business on social media and I, I run some of the biggest brands in the world on social media, but that doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to, um, you know, advocate for appropriate use of the platforms for young people or use my uh, pedigree and, and, and my experience in the space to, to have just a bit of a stronger voice for parents that they can kind of take it from me and et cetera. So it's not really meant to go against the business. It's just meant to, you know, when you're reaping the rewards of something, fixing it while you're driving, it's not a bad idea either. So um, it's something I'm really passionate about and and something you'll see a lot of coming out of me this year. You're listening to Chatter That Matters with Tony Chapman, presented by RBC. My guest today is Joe Galliese. He's barely touched his 30s, but he co-founded and built an agency that's valued at over $650 million. And he did it all in seven years. Talk to me a little bit more about family life, because I know when I was an entrepreneur, there was no such thing as work-life balance. 
the amount of pressure. I mean, everybody glamorizes the entrepreneur as this wonderful world of flying in private jets with Gordon Greco. But the reality is it's, it consumes you. And it's not only consumes you, it's consuming because it's delicious when you're growing a business and it's, it's exciting and it's big bets and big decisions and organic growth versus strategic. But at the same time, you have your personal life. You have a, a commitment to your family. How do you find a way to make all that work? It's been an ongoing battle for me, Tony. Um, what I can tell you is I have some things working for my advantage, which is uh, I'm a bit of a secret extrovert, uh, introvert. So I like being on my own and I'm not a big party animal. And um, I'm the first guy to be like, I'll just go home and hang out. Um, so, so, you know, being a homebody, I think makes that a little bit easier. But what I've kind of made a decision with my wife and my family was every waking moment that I have available outside of Viral Nation, I'm dedicating to the kids. What I've kind of did was I said, okay, this is the biggest opportunity in my life and I'll never get, you know, potentially an opportunity like this again. So I want to see it through and I want it so bad, but I also don't want to be a father who, you know, has regret that they didn't spend the, the right amount of time with their kids or didn't see the right things and et cetera. So what I've tried to do is make my life two things, them and, and this and, and sacrifice the, you know, the golf, the buddies, the social life, the, you know, going out to things I don't need to go out to going to a, you know, a hockey game to shoot the breeze with guys that I don't have real opportunity with. I've just gone kind of crazy in, in terms of my gross prioritization of what's important for the business and staying within those confines and then taking the rest of the time out to be with the family. And Tony, it's been working for me amazing. Uh, and, and it feels good. And, and I'm not regretting the sacrifices from a personal perspective because, you know, raising kids is so damn fun for me. And it's, it's something I'm equally as passionate about with my business. Um, with the hope that, you know, when I see this thing through and, you know, kind of come out the other side that, you know, I'll be able to do those things and, and I look forward to it. So I, I've kind of just kind of set my life up to be work and my kids and, 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 and kind of saving the fun stuff for me for, for later in life. You know, a friend of mine once said to me, I was in young presence organization and early on, probably around your age. And he said, you know, you're going to make all the money that you need. You don't strike me as a guy that's going to want big cottages and jets. You're going to be fine money wise, but you only got one shot. I grew up, I made a lot of money, but my kids don't even know who I am. Don't make the mistake I did. And my, my two daughters are my best friends. So I, I celebrate what you're doing because it is so exciting to be part of some kind of the kind of growth. I, the other thing you've talked about is your mental health and, and anxiety. How have you coped with that given you must be in a business where it's pretty easy to be anxious? It's pretty easy to have stress. You know what? It's It's been, I've had this issue uh, and it's not just kind of a small issue. It's been a big issue for me since my early twenties uh, up until now. So it's been kind of like that demon I've been fighting off for a long time. Um, it wasn't until about four years ago where I really started to get control over it. Um, and, and since then I've been on a pretty consistent path and, and that was just, you know, it's all about maturity for me with younger people. Tony is like, I knew what would fix it. I just didn't want to do those things. And now that I've gotten a little bit older and I have kids and, you know, slowed down a little bit, uh, it's been easier for me to, I think, address it. So what I've been trying to do, Tony is like, I said it to my wife when the year started, I said, you know what, if my life is just work and the kids, you know, I might as well take this time to work on, you know, making myself healthy. So I've started anxiety medications about four years ago. Um, I, I took those for, for a number of years till I could kind of get the balance then I got the balance. Then from there, I've been just working on it. And, you know, everything from, you know, I've probably lost about 30, 35 pounds. I found that was a big one for me was was kind of just shedding the weight. Weight sometimes for me, uh, my particular case, I felt like, you know, when my weight would fluctuate up, 
my um, anxiety and, and depression would go with it. So, you know, I think staying balanced in my weight has been big for me, what I'm eating and how I'm eating um, and, and just kind of monitoring my health and my energy levels the right way has been all the difference for me. Guys like John and guys like Bruce and, and guys like Jim Bolsilly, who's another one of my mentors and et cetera, you know, uh, I never really had people through those trying times who have been there before. So to me, it, it felt like a whirlwind all the time. Just as you thought you've hit your max or you've hit your just you're, you're burnt all the way out, you find some other gear. And now all of a sudden what you were worried about before wasn't that big of a deal. And I think by having really open conversations with some of my mentors and people who have kind of been there before me or folks like Jimbo Silly, who, you know, created the smartphone and grew a global enterprise. It was one of the biggest businesses in the world. And just hearing from those guys and what they went through and, and understanding it grounds me. So I've, I've done a ton of work, Tony, on the subject. It, it, it's the bane of my existence. It's my Achilles heel. And I, I've got her under control now, which is awesome. But it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't easy. It made everything feel a lot harder. I've got a final question. It might be a tough one for you because I started off my interview talking about one of the business books that I love, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, I want to end with another one, The Founder's Dilemma by Noah Wasserman. In his book, he makes a compelling case for when it's time for the founder to, to pass on the baton. Not always easy. Very often, you know, past their best before date. I'm curious with you because as you grow this business and you have the support of people like Rufula, how far are you going to run with this before you look and say, maybe I'm not adding the value I should have, or maybe it's time to set aside and do the stuff that I don't, you know, because as you said in a couple of interviews, I don't like the operational side. I don't like the legal side. I like the gaming side, the, the chess match. Do you ever think there's going to be a time when you pass that baton on to someone else? Entrepreneurs like me, like those kind of true blue blood you know, born with the itch entrepreneurs, um, you know, that's based in creativity and innovation and all those types of things. Um, what I've tried to do, Tony, and, and I think that, you know, John Ruffalo and the investors would appreciate this is, you know, I've identified that there are areas where I don't like doing or I don't have experiences in. And I've kind of doubled and tripled down, Tony, on figuring out how to learn them. And I've done that over the last year and a half pretty, pretty viciously. Um, and, and for, for maybe only the reason that I, I want to understand how to be a true 360 leader, I want to be able to do those things and, and see it through. Um, you know, but for me, it's more important that I'm doing what's right for the business and I'm doing what's right for the people in it. Um, I think as of today, um, you know, this business still really needs the expertise, but also just the scrappiness and the in inherent hustle that goes into being the CEO of this business. But I think as we come through these next chapters and grow into a, you know, further into an enterprise size and we start thinking about things like exits or uh, we start thinking about things like IPOs and different things and the business is a lot more predictable and et cetera, I think that's probably the juncture where, where the swap would happen. But again, not reluctant to it, but just again, just want what's right for the business and want, want, want what's right for myself and my family and my health too long term. So it's something that, you know, I've thought about and, and not something that I'm, I'm, I'm afraid to, afraid to have that conversation. I just, you know, I just think we'll both know or, or the company will know when that time is right. I'm curious, what position did you play in junior hockey? Because you strike me as a scrappy forward that would go into the corners and bang around until you got the puck. 
I was a crappy defenseman, actually. Really? I was an offensive defenseman. So I always end my shows with my three takeaways. And the first one I'm going to call the Mel Gibson Braveheart moment, where you talked about how hard the pandemic has been, even though you talked about the benefit to your business because it forced clients to do things quicker, you miss the cultural interaction of people coming to work, leading by example. And I, I just immediately came to mind when Gibson's riding the horse and getting the, the Scottish troops all ready to fight England, how impossible that would have been virtually. And I, I thought that was great. The second one is just your ability to listen and learn. Powerful advice for people, especially if you happen to be in a successful track, things are going really well with you. The fact that you stop and listen to really smart people, understand your weaknesses, learn to shore those, those up by diving into them, I think is just an incredibly admirable, but very mature thing for someone of your age. And then I, I think the final thing is you are this consummate chess player. And when I talk to great entrepreneurs, it's not that they're just playing one dimension board against their competition. They're, they're seeing that competition that might emerge. They're seeing legacy. They're seeing all these different things that are happening and their eyes light up and they shine and you just, they get so excited because they're just constantly looking at the next moves that keep their organization. What you did with micro marketing technology, helping people mitigate the risk with celebrities and so many other things. So, for all of that and more, I can certainly understand why you are and very likely will become the Blackberry of uh, marketing for Canada in terms of a global brand that not only invented, but established such an incredible position in, on the, in the marketplace. So thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you so much for the kind words. And Tony, all I can say to you is uh, I practice insane transparency and I work my butt off. And I find that those two things, Tony, are what gets me through because no one can ever be upset with someone who's transparent and working their hardest, right? And that's been my secret with my investors, with my team, you know, is if we're candid and we're honest and we're working as hard as we can on that specific thing, no one's going to slight you. They're just going to help you. And that's been my biggest secret, man, uh, of anything is is just operate like that every day and everything, including my family, including my wife. And it's worked really well for me. And 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 hearing someone like you say those kind words about me, it's hard sometimes, Tony, because we don't come, I don't come out right? I'm in the trenches, right? I'm in there. And, uh, you know, I actually try to block out as much as the stuff happening around me as possible so that I can just concentrate on what I think is right. So, you know, having someone say the things you said uh, is, is very nice to hear. So thank you for having me and thank you for saying those things. It's, it's greatly appreciated. Joining me now is Don Lalo. He's the Vice President of Small Business, Business Financial Services Strategies and Partnerships. Don, welcome back to Chatter That Matters. Hey, great to be here, Tony. That's a quite a long title. Break it down for the audience. So what does Don do on a daily basis? Sure. On a daily basis, my team and I are responsible for uh, RBC's small business and our strategy and the performance of that. I also help uh, our leaders uh, better coordinate our entire strategy for business financial services. Uh, and my team and I also coordinate our external partnerships, we believe, uh, strongly in uh, having all kinds of partnerships with uh, external providers that can help our clients. So we uh, we coordinate all those. Don, I've read so many different places how important these small business heroes are, these entrepreneurs to our economy. Uh, is that a fair statement or is that just a statement made by a small business owner? <laughs> no, no, Tony, I work with so many uh, small business uh, owners uh, and they are critically important to our success, whether it's uh, the new ideas and creativity they bring uh, to uh, to our local markets, 
uh, or the significant amount of economic growth and uh, and job growth that they deliver. There's a lot of people that dream about being in business, but there's a lot fewer that do. What advice can you give to somebody how they can turn that dream into to reality and be their own boss, have their hand on the rudder of their own business? You know, first, je- just take that first step and start exploring it and looking into it. We have all kinds of great tools at RBC to help uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses get ideas and start to plan and and uh, lay the foundation for starting a business. And uh, and once they're ready to go, we can help them uh, register and incorporate a business really quickly with owners. So it's it's really just taking that first step. Uh, and if they're hesitant, then talk to someone. Um, go and talk to a local small business owner. My guest today was, you know, Joe Galliers. Unbelievable. I mean, seven years ago, it was a dream. Today, it's a $100 million business. And he talks about the importance of the founder leading by example. Absolutely. Uh, Joe's uh, an incredible uh, success story, isn't he? And a really inspiring leader. Um, you know, setting the tone and showing how it's done. And you can't really expect your team to do things if you don't role model that and do it yourself. So, you know, leading by example is so critically important. And I think Joe really exemplifies that in his journey and it seems in his daily work. You know, your experience of working small business owners, I know you're married to one as well. Is it at times a lonely place to be because you're the one that is the face of the organization? You might have partners, but so much of your success and failures on your shoulders? Yeah, you know what? I I think it can be uh, lonely at times because especially with a small business owner, everything comes to them. Uh, Usually these are fairly small organizations, fairly thin management structures, and so everything rolls up to them very quickly. And yet, what I see with many business owners is that they form informal networks of peers and and even coaches and advisors that kind of help them through that. So they always have a sounding board and someone who really understands what they're going through. You know, earlier on in the interview, you talked about you have a lot of tools and resources. Let me point my audience towards them. Where, where would they go to sort of access some of the best that RBC offers to help small business owners get to where they need, want, and deserve to go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, go to rbc.com and, and search for RBC Small Business Navigator. It's a, it's a great site that's got all kinds of tools and resources. Come in and see us if you want or give us a call. We love to talk to people too. So we're only ever a call or a visit away. Thank you so much for joining me. And I hope to uh, get you back on Chatter That Matters. Yeah, thanks, Tony. And thanks for all the awesome that your work that you're doing as well. Chatter That Matters has been a presentation of RBC. Fridays, join Tony Chapman for Chatter That Matters on the iHeartRadio Canada Talk Network. It's Tony Chapman. Let's chat soon.